Welcome to Calibrate Conversations, a podcast about embracing God's standard for sexuality. I'm your host, Brady Cohn, and joining me today as our guest co-host is Caleb Garza. So many of you guys know Caleb's work, you just don't know it, because him and his brother Josh are the ones who edit all these videos and try to make me look good. They do their best. And Caleb so is usually working behind the scenes, but today he's going to join me and we get to hear from him. So Caleb, tell us a little bit about your life sweet yeah well thanks for having me brady uh love working with you of course um i am a guy regular guy lives in south dakota my with my wife my little girl she's two years old and uh about to have another one on the way so yeah i love uh working yes. with ministries i'm working gonna be at, uh, Go ahead. Yeah. So your little girls do in like the next couple of weeks. And so by the time this airs next week, you might already have a baby. Yes, uh, that's true. We probably will actually, which will be, uh, which will, it, it will have been nice that we recorded this at the time that we did. Yes. Cool. All right. So today we are going to spend some time responding to comments and my wife, who is a peacemaker by nature, says that you should never read the comments on social media. Uh, I personally love reading the comments. That's why I go on social media. So I like you know, seeing all the hate and discontent. It does get uh, burdensome. And so... Um, uh, and you know, sometimes I start responding to comments and then the Holy spirit, I have to hit the delete button. And so like, all right, I won't post that comment. So I will use my better judgment, uh, and a little bit of the fruit of the spirit, but comments just get ridiculous and online, uh, people dehumanize each other and it's easy to be a keyboard warrior. But sometimes the comments on our videos are actually deep spiritual questions and uh, people express things that they believe about sexuality. Some of them are mistruths they've believed, justifications for um, why they are living the way they are. And today we're going to respond to those comments and give a little bit of perspective on those myth truths that people believe. And then at the end, we're actually going to get to some of the funny comments, uh, the, some of the ones that um, people probably don't expect me to actually read. At least I hope they don't, because that would be pretty cruel if they did. But uh, we will get to some of the funny ones. But so let's just start off. What are some of the comments? We've been making a list. You've been going through the videos. And uh, some of them are, I think, really good questions. So what is the first comment that you've seen people make? Yes. So uh, I, a lot of these, you know, we see a lot of the time, you know, there's a lot of repeats, but we pick the best ones um, that happen quite often. So the number one or the first one is homosexuality exists in many animal species. There's nothing abnormal about it. So what would you say to that? Oh, uh, that's a, a good question. I, I've seen that quite a bit. Um, so, okay, so let's break that down. Uh, homosexuality exists in animal species, so there's nothing abnormal about it. All right, so I think the first thing we have to ask is, are people humans? What distinguishes humans from other creatures and animals? And the first thing I'd say is that uh, humans are made in the image of God. Uh, we have a sense of morality, which animals don't. Animals um, operate off instincts. 
Um, and I've always said that I, I you know, uh, obviously I, I've always said that animals aren't going to heaven, but actually my friend, Tim Stratton, who was just on the show last week, uh, he believes that our animals will be in heaven just as part of creation. And so I have been very relieved by that. I have my beloved cat tuxedo. And I always tell Tuxedo that there's no hope for his eternity, that he has nine lives here on Earth, and that's it. But maybe after listening to Tim, uh, maybe there is some hope for Tuxedo after all. It sounds like Tim needs to be the one to evangelize Tuxedo, give him a little hope. After yes, absolutely. Broke, broken his so, dreams. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, Tim can talk to him about free will and making some better choices. <laughs> right on mary would appreciate if he made some better choices so but obviously there's a lot more depth than that because whether or not uh animals or pets will be in heaven with us someday or not uh doesn't really affect the fact that we're moral creatures and they're not and there's lots of things that animals do in nature that we think are immoral as humans like animals who uh eat their own young um, there's, uh, animals who, you know, commit cannibalism. Um, my chickens will eat one another. They're, they're really, really cruel to each other. They have a pecking order. And so we would never say that, well, then that's okay because animals do it. And so, uh, I think obviously there's some very large distinguishments there between people and animals where you're comparing, uh, apples to oranges, um, but I also think that probably the biggest argument against that or the best argument is uh, what type of homosexuality are animals displaying? How is it being displayed? Uh, and I, I think that at the depth of that, when you see this homosexual behavior in animals, it's not as humans as a, you know, trying to um, uh mimic marriage in some way because there is no marriage with animals it's not even sexual intercourse they're not having sexual intercourse even if they replicate this you know kind of mounting activity uh to not make it awkward but we you know i grew up on a ranch in nebraska and sometimes our heifers would be mounting one another and so little kids like oh mommy and daddy what are they doing and you know it's there there's no there's no relational aspect or even sexual aspect involved. They're replicating something based on, uh, you know, instincts. And I, I think it's really interesting, this USA Today article that um, I'm going to put up on the screen that addresses this, um, that tries to make this claim uh, that same-sex relationships are common in the animal kingdom. And, so because of this, they're trying to claim that homosexuality in the animal kingdom is actually good. Um, but so so let's just look at some of these, uh, what it has to say in this article, and I'll highlight some, some areas. So it says their findings represent the broadest systematic documentation yet of same-sex sexual behavior in mammals. Uh, several researchers not involved in their work said. I think that's important to note that the researchers it's quoting here are not involved in the work. Um, this first one says, homosexuality is present, widespread, and eternal. Um, that's interesting that uh, it says eternal because they're not talking about eternal things. Mm. Um, so I think that some of this goes to show how we can't believe the headlines. And so here's an interesting quote. Uh, 
um, same sex sexual behavior, similar to activities like grooming, nuzzling and sleeping together, promote cooperation, she said, which helps the survival of the species. OK, so let's break that down. Same sex sexual behavior like uh, grooming, nuzzling and sleeping together promotes cooperation. So uh, when you look at that behavior in animals like, you know, going to my cat tuxedo because I'm kind of obsessed with tuxedo. Uh, uh, tuxedo, uh, will like sleep in the same bed as one of the other cats. Cause he's learned to quit fighting them off. He's, uh, just tolerates them, even though he doesn't really like them cause he's better than them. Uh, but that's, that is in no way same sex sexual behavior. He doesn't care whether it's a female or a male cat that's sleeping in his bed with him. Uh, and maybe there's the sure each other's warmth at night. Uh, tuxedo has been neutered. And so he's been made a eunuch, um, as I like to tell him, uh, <laughs> I, by not by his choice. He's been made a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom. So he has big responsibilities. So, <laughs> so hopefully he makes uh, it into the kingdom, right? <laughs> At Calibrate Ministries, we have an entire ministry just for parents of LGBTQ kids because we want to be able to shepherd your hearts and encourage you and pray for you and your family as you navigate these situations. So just go to CalibrateMinistries.com and fill out the contact form, and I'd love to be in touch with you about how you can be involved in that ministry. To equate this grooming, nuzzling, sleeping together as same-sex sexual behavior, I think is really ridiculous because that has nothing to do with sexuality or relationships or any type of homosexual behavior. You know, uh, we also have donkeys on the farm. Uh, we have lots of cats and lots of donkeys. And the donkeys can get really bonded together. And uh, many times when you buy donkeys, you have to buy them in a pair because you all have a bonded pair. And sometimes I'll do that. There'll be two that are obviously best buddies. And so I will um, make sure I sell them together. But I think it's interesting to note that that bondedness uh, does it doesn't matter which gender they are. You can have two that are uh, really bonded that are two males, two females, a male and a female. It's just personality and just instinct that they they bond together and that bondedness, I think it's interesting, does not interfere at all with their sexual reproduction. You know, mm -hmm. I have like 15 female Jennies and one Jack, and there'll be two females that are really bonded. And sometimes, like right now, one of the, the bonded pairs I have that you know, that are just really good friends. They're actually a mother and a daughter. And so they obviously have that bond and they live together their whole life. And so uh they so that has nothing to do with sexuality and it doesn't at all interfere with them mating with a jack. And so their mm -hmm. sexuality isn't part of this bonding. It's not a relationship thing as a homosexual relationship. It's just two of them have a emotional bond as creatures who do experience emotions. And sometimes they like one more than they like all the others. A lot of them aren't bonded with a specific one. Some of them don't get along with all the rest. Uh, and so I, I think that that is a really um dumb comparison to say that observing those behaviors um uh in any way equates to homosexuality 
And so here the article goes on. It is still common for people to argue against uh, homosexual behavior or the entire LGBTQ community on the basis that heterosexual sex is the only approved and natural kind of sex. Franz DeWall, a primatologist and professor emeritus at Emory University of Atlanta, said via email. This review tells us that this is utter nonsense. Humans are by no means exceptional in the animal kingdom. Okay, I think that this quote is nonsense because talking about um, the basis that heterosexual sex is the only approved and natural kind of sex there is, that's true because when we see this same-sex behavior, quote-unquote, in the animal kingdom, uh, it does not involve... uh, uh, any type of actual sex. There's no type of intercourse happening, whether it's, uh, you know, two females, two males, um, even if they're, you know, uh, one mounting another, there's no kind of sex happening. And so heterosexual sex is the only natural kind of sex. And humans are the only ones that are actually having same sex sexual intercourse. There's, you don't see that in the animal world. And so, uh, she's actually saying the opposite of what is true. Her conclusions are the opposite. Um, uh, and, and we're obviously, like I said, the only ones who have this, this moral compass. Yeah. What I was going to say too, actually, is I also grew up on a ranch or my, my grandfather has a ranch and, you know, he had several bulls together and, you know, they might, you know, <laughs> mount each other for a better way, you know, without a better way of saying that. But uh, again, no sex happening, but also, you know, when you open the uh, the gate to let them in to, you know, when it was time to breed, there was none of them that were like, no, I'm going to stay over here because I want to, you know, have sex with the bulls. They're like, no, they, they you know, obviously go in with the heifers um, every single time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The the, the instincts that um, cause them to display any of this behavior has absolutely nothing to do with reproduction or sexuality or even relationships. So continuing on the article, but while scientific observations of same-sex sexual behavior among animals have been ongoing for decades, they haven't always been welcome, striking at the heart of religious arguments that claim same-sex sexual behavior is abhorrent and not found uh, and what they see as divine creation. And that's true. We can, we, we have the word of God to study and to give us guidelines. And we see that it's the result of trading the truth about God for a lie and worshiping creation instead of the creator. And that doesn't apply to the animal kingdom because they don't have that sense of morality that Mm -hmm. we have. They obviously don't have God's word, um, I've tried quoting scripture to Tuxedo, but he doesn't speak English. So uh, and I don't I don't know what language he speaks, but I don't think he speaks Greek either. So that translation <laughs> wouldn't help. But yeah, uh, sorry, your people are going to be like, how many references to Tuxedo are you going to make in this? Like, well, <laughs> that is my the perfect episode to do the Tuxedo references to. So <laughs> I know. Yeah, I should have brought him with me and he could have been could have been on my lap. You know, he you know, Mike Winger has a has a cat cam where he cuts away to his cat so you know oh wow yes yes um we're about to leave on a trip i'm going to set up a couple of cameras and so uh i will be sure to set one up above tuxedo's bed right on (laughs) i also have donkey cameras and so that i can monitor the donkeys while we're gone i love it Okay, so what studies like this do is remind us that the really vast range of social arrangements that appear in nature uh 
And studies that reveal same-sex behavior in nature show that these natural variations exist without harming anyone, and that diversity can, in fact, reflect real benefits to society. Okay, uh, what we're, they say in animals isn't harming anyone, but it's it's apples to oranges because, again, it's not actual same-sex relationships. If it was a rejection of heterosexuality and they refuse to procreate, then that would actually harm – survival of the species would actually eliminate those because they wouldn't be able to pass on their genetics. Right. So here's where we get to the crux of it. And I thought that I, I almost like uh, laughed out loud when I read this article because finally it gets to uh, the author of the study. And what he says is that um, uh, is that this has actually no bearing on people. The observations of this behavior in animals um, has no bearing on people. Um, and so let's get to the end there. Oh, so yeah, the author of the study says some animals routinely kill their young. So it's not clear that because animals do something or do not do something that humans should do something or not do the same things. And so what does this study tell us about humans? Uh, so relying on scientific arguments about LGBTQ behaviors and animals could, in some cases, hurt the gay rights movement, said Robert, Mark Robert Stein, a professor at San Francisco State University, who has written extensively about urban gay and lesbian history. That's not a very proud or affirming way to think about homosexuality, which is not to say that these types of scientific studies aren't interesting or uh valuable. It's just to say that we should be careful about the meanings we attach to these scientific discoveries. So here's actually the author of this study, Jose Maria Gomez, the lead author of the new study, said the findings likely won't support or refute any social or political position. Quote, he says, but what it does mean to uh, be the case is that same-sex sexual behavior in animals is not permanent sexual. It's not a permanent sexual preference. In most cases, individuals displaying same-sex sexual behavior also mate with individuals of the different sex. For this reason, we believe that similarity with how animals display sexual behavior is very limited. He likewise cautioned against the notion of equating behaviors found in nature to what ought to be amongst humans. We are a moral species, Gomez said. We choose freely how to behave and what is considered good or wrong. So I think that that is amazing that the author of the study says that it has no bearing in how we should behave as humans. Uh, and yet the entire article was quoting, uh, you know, these so-called uh, experts who had nothing to do with the study who were trying to make the opposite case. Yeah. And clever to put that at the very bottom where no one reads to, you know. <laughs> yes. And so just going by the headlines, you would think that this study uh, would, you know, prove that, you know, because of this behavior in animals, we should affirm homosexuality in humans where you get to the very end of it and, and it actually does the opposite. And mm -hmm. so it reminds me of back in the 90s, there were these studies that supposedly proved that homosexuality is inborn and genetic and, uh, you know, just uh, completely natural. And it was all over the headlines. Uh, but the actual studies um, and the authors of those studies said, no, 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 that's not what this proves at all. 
uh, and th- those conclusions are completely wrong, but people just believe the headlines and that led to so many people just believing, oh, people who are gay are born gay and science mm-hmm. proves that even though science doesn't prove that. And um, the very same, uh, the authors of those very same studies refuted the conclusions that it does. Wow. Yeah, that that has shaped how a lot of people think, I think, nowadays. Absolutely. So don't believe the headlines is the more of that that story. So, all right, moving on. Um, what are some of the other comments that we want to dig into? All right. So here's one that says, I must say, if you persist in rejecting your sexuality, then please, please do not marry some poor girl. Everyone deserves to marry someone who genuinely desires them and loves them romantically. So, oh, that's interesting. So maybe we should, I guess we should have had my wife on as a guest. So I've invited her and um, she refuses. She says she never wants to be on. So, uh, but you know, so refers to like, don't marry some poor girl because uh, every person deserves to have someone who genuinely desires them. And so I think what you're doing is uh, you're, you're trying to do what, society does which claims that people like me don't exist uh and that i can't have genuine desires for my wife but that's just not true um i have genuine desires for my wife physically emotionally romantically and god through his grace has built those desires based on our mutual commitment and trust and serving and loving and raising kids together and uh knowing her deeper and deeper, you know, just as, as we live life together, uh, God has done nothing but increase that desire for her. And so, um, I think that is a, uh, just a total red herring argument, um, or straw man argument, uh, that to claim that, um, uh, that I should marry some poor girl, um, because I could never be attracted to her, and that, that's just not true. There's there's so many of us who have dealt with same-sex attraction who have gone on to be married and have successful, happy, healthy marriages. Um, and there's some people with same-sex attraction that maybe that's not the best option for them, and maybe they should remain celibate. And we want to be careful not to find our hope in marriage. Um, mm-hmm. But we also want to understand that uh, marriage is not about us. It's about uh, the glory of God, and we die to ourselves, and that love is a choice. And when we choose to love someone, when we choose to serve them, that actually increases our affection towards them. And and studies actually prove that. And uh, even in some uh, you know studies on like arranged marriages, which I'm not saying that you know I believe in arranged marriages. I've always kind of joked that I do, but. Uh, with arranged marriages, it's interesting that um, uh, people actually have thriving marriages that have come from arranged marriages because they were told that this is who you're marrying, and now they have to choose to love this person every day, mm. and they actually grow romantic and affectionate feelings towards that person, and they have a healthy, thriving marriage. So I'm not saying that, and I'm sure that arranged marriages are done in very abusive ways, but, uh, um, our entire method of dating of I'm going to date whoever I have these raging desires for, um, 
does not serve us well because usually those raging desires for someone before you know them uh, deeply and have built a life based on commitment and trust, as those desires are coming from a place of unhealthiness and, uh, you know, um, been shaped by our own sin nature and pornography use and, mm. and, and so many other unhealthy aspects of our life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, that person in particular, like they, I mean, it's clear they don't believe that love, that love is a choice that you can choose to love somebody. It's like, it's it kind of goes back to the determinism thing you and Tim were talking about on today's episode that just came out. Um, yes, absolutely. I, I, th- I think that you can choose to love someone. And, uh, yeah. and when you choose to love someone, it means that your fulfillment, your, that does not come from them. It comes from Christ. And therefore, mm-hmm. since I have everything I need in Christ, I can choose to love this person unconditionally. And out of that comes joy and true intimacy. And, uh, that choice comes before the, um, desires for intimacy, at least desires for healthy intimacy. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Okay, so the next one. What do we have next? The next one says, living a gay life didn't satisfy you because you hadn't fully accepted yourself and were living under a blanket of shame. What do you think about that? That's interesting. So really what this person is saying is that I wasn't gay enough. Uh, And I, I think that's interesting. I hear that argument a lot is like that, well, you just, you just weren't doing it good enough. And it's really interesting that that same crowd says, be whoever you are, be whatever is inside of you, you know, and every person is different. Yet they come along and say that how I was living out my homosexuality just wasn't gay enough. And that's why I wasn't satisfied with it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I went down this journey of, uh, of trying harder and it felt like life on this this gay treadmill where they said well if you have more affirmation if you have more of this if you have more celebration more sexual encounters if you experience more freedom then that will bring you fulfillment and it left me hopeless and exhausted because no amount of it was enough and it, it it was this treadmill where you have to run faster and faster and you have to look the certain way and you have to have this certain personality and you have to earn the uh, love from these different people. And I think it's interesting that the New York Times had an article um, a few, it's been a few years ago now, and it was completely secular, but the headline was that uh, gay rights hasn't cured gay loneliness. And the whole article was about how they've been studying uh, people who are openly gay, and now they have gay rights. They can be married. They're celebrated. Mm. They have you know benefits at work. They have benefits in society. And yet their mental health is declining, and it hasn't taken away their sense of loneliness. And mm. I think that was uh, so interesting to show that uh, that no matter how gay you are, it's never enough to find satisfaction, maybe temporarily as all sin can satisfy temporarily. But um, uh, it, it's this kind of common misperception. It was like, well, then you weren't doing it right. It's like, well, right. I don't know if I need someone else to show me how to, the right way to be homosexual. And I don't think our viewers want to see that, but uh, <laughs> it's like, I, it's just, it's just ludicrous that, they think that there is a right way to be gay and evidently I just wasn't, I just wasn't doing it right. Yeah. So I was just looking this up actually, but it's so 
Um, I think they're actually committing what's called the no the no true Scotsman fallacy, which is basically mm. the, the, yes. the definition is you know an attempt to defend a general generalization by denying the validity of any counterexamples. And I see this all the time with people where it's like, well, you weren't actually part of that group because if you were, then you would still be part of it, and things like that. Um, yeah, and, it's and like, you see that in other you know, theological arguments like Calvinism, you know, yes. someone who is now no longer Calvinistic and uh, all the Calvinists say, well, you weren't actually a true uh, Calvinist to begin with. And so exactly. that you see that argument applied um, and it's really a logical fallacy that says, mm-hmm. well, if you don't believe that now, then you are no longer, you, you actually weren't that to begin with. Yeah. Which or you is weren't a like, good enough of one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I just think that's that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. So here we go. Uh, as a gay person, let me tell you. Let me tell any parents of LGBTQ children this: If you try to prevent your kid from being who they are, then they are going to one be miserable, but maintain a relationship with you, or happy but out of your life completely. If you want your kids to be happy and have a relationship with you, then acceptance and support for who they are, including acting upon their sexuality because it is central to who they are, is the only option. This is probably easy for me to say as a non-religious person, but it is the truth. I would strongly advise you not to listen to anyone who says otherwise. All right. So um, this is the type of sentiment that is expressed a lot, a lot of false dichotomies. And so what this person is saying is that if you have an LGBTQ child, um, uh, if you don't accept their sexuality and they try to deny it, they're going to be miserable, not being able to be themselves or um, for them to be happy and accept their sexuality as uh, they're experiencing it, then they will just have to cut you out of their life completely. And so they're Mm -hmm. presenting this false dichotomies and parents get this false dichotomy all the time of you need to love your child, embrace their sexuality or not have a relationship with them. I think a great example of that. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but I think a great example of that that I'll put in the comments or in the uh, show notes is the story of John and his parents and how, um, you know, his parents really, really loved him through the struggles that he went through. And they didn't they didn't affirm, you know, what he was um, his identity, but they loved him through that. And he, you know, changed his mind. And I think there's several logical fallacies in this statement. Uh. They say, if you want your kids to be happy and have a relationship with you, then acceptance and support for who they are, including acting upon their sexuality because a central part of who they are is the only option. And so you're making the logical fallacy and false conclusion that their sexuality is a central part of who they are and that acting on it is their only option. And so, again, you're taking away their free will and mm. you're saying that them acting on their desires is the only option for them. It's the only way for them to be happy. And that's then the only way that you can have a relationship with them is to embrace it. And parents do need to put in a lot of discernment and how they walk alongside their kids and have a relationship with their kids. But ultimately, they can't control their kids. And so some children will choose to not have a relationship with their parents if their parents aren't fully affirming um, and that's tragic. And we mourn with those parents and they, there's just, you can't control that. Even if you do everything right, you have no choice, but just be on your knees and praying and praying for a restored relationship and for God to move in their hearts. 
But that is a false dichotomy, and it's really manipulative of parents to tell them that you have to embrace your child's sexuality, otherwise, um, you know, they won't be able to have a relationship with you. And that that does that doesn't only hurt the parents, but it actually hurts the kids in the long run. And many times, then what the kids are fed is this narrative that says that if your parents don't fully affirm your sexuality and embrace it, then they don't actually love you and they're rejecting you and you just need to cut them out of your life. It's like, that's the narrative that's being fed and it does so much damage, but you're right. The episode with John and his parents from about a year ago was really, really powerful and people should go and listen to that. All right. So the next question is this sinners, you mean gay people? It does wonders for your messaging to dehumanize your brothers and sisters like that. Just saying, it's not the best reflection on what you're trying to say here. Also, this truth seems kind of arbitrary as you acknowledge how people can misconceive things, but ignore the possibility that you could be misinterpreting the words of Christ. Like, who cares how other people live their lives? What you are promoting is not love or acceptance. It's narcissism and malcontent. Oh, wow. Really ended with some stingers there. Narcissism (laughs) and malcontent. But let's start from the beginning. So sinners, you mean gay people? Yes, because we're all sinners. Uh, Gay people are sinners. Straight people are sinners. And if they're embracing their homosexuality, then they are sinning as part of their sexuality. And uh, we bring them a message of hope and repentance says uh, it does wonders for your messaging to dehumanize your brothers and sisters like that. And here's where I think a comment like that comes from, is that the LGBTQ community can't distinguish between the sin and the sinner because they believe that the sin is part of me. It's so central to their identity. It's not just something that they're doing. It is who they are. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense when we say uh, love the sinner, but hate the sin, because to them, homosexuality isn't something they're doing. It is a central part of who they are. So when we talk about sin, repentance in regards to homosexuality, they think that we're dehumanizing them because they think their humanity comes from within. They think their humanity comes from acting on the desires and expressing the desires that are deep within them. But we know that our humanity comes from Christ. Our humanity is found in Jesus. Our humanity is found in the fact that we're made in God's image. It's so much more than what we're feeling, but they can't distinguish between the two. And so it goes on to say, you know, um, uh, also, who cares about uh, how other people live their lives? Well, Jesus does. We care because Jesus does, and every person is going to stand before God and give an account. And so we want people to find a gospel-centered hope that helps them live differently, that helps them find redemption and grace and transformation because Jesus cares, and everyone is going to have to give an account. And he gives us accountability. He is, we're going to stand in judgment before God one day, but he gives us the grace to turn uh, now and live a different life. Yeah. Amen. And also narcissism uh, is like the opposite of Christianity because you're literally denying yourself and uh, picking up your cross to follow Jesus. And so uh, there's there's nothing narcissistic about that. Yes. And so that's just a red herring argument of destroy the person who is giving the message. Therefore, I don't have to believe in the message that they're delivering.
I have pastors and church leaders regularly reach out to me about speaking at their churches and events. If that's something you would be interested in, feel free to go to calibrateministries.com and fill out the contact form, and I'd love to talk to you about what that would look like. All right, so the next question says this. I'm so relieved for understanding people in this comment section. You deserve love and acceptance no matter what. It doesn't matter how you identify or who you love or if you don't want any labels or anything at all. All you deserve is safety and compassion. Please stay safe and please be kind to yourself. You are loved. You are understood. There is nothing wrong with you. Any true loving divine being of love or light uh, would not care who you are attracted to if it's safe and healthy. The church has made a religion a a political tool, but it can still be loving as some people here have shown me. Acceptance is love and light. All right. Interesting question. Obviously coming from a non-believer. And so I really want to focus on, uh, they say you deserve safety and compassion. So obviously, yes, we do deserve uh, compassion. Everyone deserves compassion. Jesus had compassion. We still, you know, call people into a relationship with Jesus and surrender to him. Um, but I, the interesting word here that she keeps using is safety. Uh, all you deserve is safety and compassion. Please stay safe and be kind to yourself. And uh, um, any true loving divine being of love and light would not care who you're attracted to if it's safe and healthy. So I would like to ask, like, uh, define safe and healthy. Because we live in a world that says that words are violence. And if you disagree with someone, you're like literally being violent against them and uh, you're making them unsafe. And so we hear that term thrown around so much. And obviously, I want people to be safe physically, emotionally, spiritually. But, you know, I I really don't want to use the word snowflake because that's a very politically charged, you know, term. And I don't want to denigrate anyone, but just we're so weak sometimes and we're so hurt by words. And I understand I've been hurt by words. So I don't want to say that words don't matter. And we, we shouldn't seek to be kind and compassionate, but people think that if someone disagrees with them on these issues, that they're not safe. And uh, I really don't know what the solution to that is in our culture, but I know that spiritually the solution is we need Jesus and my, he is my refuge that I am safe because of him and no one can hurt me physically, spiritually, emotionally, because he is my refuge. And we still want to be kind and compassionate and make sure we give grace to those who hear yet um, this aspect of um, safety is completely being misused in our culture. And so, you know, uh, when they say that safe and healthy, it's like, well, what's healthy spiritually? What's healthy physically? What's healthy emotionally? I know it's not homosexuality because it has ramifications for all of those aspects of our life. And so you might see it healthy, but science and God and um, say otherwise. Absolutely. How would you, do you have any thoughts on that, Caleb, on this aspect of like people feeling unsafe because of words? Like, what do you see in our culture? Uh, do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of down the same road as you. I, it's, it's, it's 
almost kind of scary to me to hear people say, um, just when there's even a minor disagreement. Uh, and I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying where, um, you know, if, if people who identify as LGBTQ, a lot of times when you, when you, you know, disagree or don't affirm what they're, they're saying, it's, it's hard for them to separate who they are from that. You know, that they think that that's, you know, who they are. So they feel like you're attacking them. Um, and so a lot of times I forget about that because I, I don't struggle with that, um, you know, in that way, but yeah, I don't know when I, when I hear somebody even disagree with me, I don't, I don't ever, I've never felt unsafe when someone says you're wrong. <laughs> you know, um, I, sometimes I, you know, get upset and I, um, I got to work through those things, but I don't know. It's just a, just an interesting time that we live in where that's, that's considered yes. unsafe by many Absol- people. Absolutely. And Christians need to be diligent and, giving grace to people who hear, showing love and compassion, but ultimately then the results are up to God and we can't control people's responses. And we also don't take rejection as a badge of honor of, oh, like I destroyed this person. It's like, no, we're not supposed to be destroying people. We're supposed to be destroying lies, maybe that they believe, um, that we shouldn't be trying to take, uh, um, uh, people down or destroying them, or, you know, we, we need to be humble and compassionate and yet still speak truth. Yeah. And I, uh, I do want to say this and I, I am blanking on the exact verse, but, uh, the verse that says as much, as much as it depends on you live at peace with all people. Um, and sometimes it's not up to you. You can only do what you can do to be loving towards people and, and be kind and, you know, treat people the way that Jesus would. But sometimes people are going to hate you for that too. So, yes. Yeah. Yep. And I, I have to tell parents that all the time, you know, we want them to use so much discernment and prayer and how they respond to their kids. And yet they have to let go of control that they, you know, we want them to live at peace with their kids. And as much as they are in control, but they can't control their children. So they can't control their response. And when the response is negative and many times their kids cut off contact, we mourn with them that loss of relationship. And we walk with them in the hardship and the pain, um, but they ultimately have to be willing to let go of that control. Yeah, absolutely. All right. What's next? Next one says, sad that you're out here running propaganda for churches who've made your life hell. That's really interesting comment. Um, it's interesting that they think that what I am articulating on my podcast and in these videos is the same message that had hurt me by churches. And I, I think that this comment might have been on the uh, video of me sharing my testimony. And obviously, I shared about a lot of church hurt and pain as, as a child, especially when the youth pastor made the comment, I wish all homosexuals would die. And it's interesting that someone would equate uh, my message to that message. And I think it shows that when you preach biblical sexuality, there is such a hard-heartedness that they can't distinguish between any different camps or groups of people. They would see me the same as Westeros Baptist Church, which is a very hate-filled 
uncharitable to me non-christian group um and so they can't distinguish that. If you say that you believe that homosexuality is a sin, then you are all in the same group of people. Whereas I had dealt with a lot of hateful, judgmental, self-righteous Christians. And I don't believe that that's me. I'm inviting people in the story of God's love and grace and kindness and compassion in which then he does call them to live a different life, to deny themselves. But people just can't separate those uh, one time after I was speaking at NC State, this was a few years ago, and there's this big event that people got all up in arms about, and there's all these protesters and death threats, and uh, you know, um, their words hurt. Yeah, they, they, they say that words hurt them so badly. Yet, the, I we had to have security because all the death threats I was getting um, from from that side. But someone came up to me afterwards and said, why would you double down on the theology that hurt you so bad? And I, it's just like, are you so blind to see that this isn't the same theology that it hurt me so bad? Uh, the theology that hurt me so bad was rejection and I'm preaching gospel hope. And it always reminds me of first Corinthians one eighteen, which says for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I get up and I share about the power of God in my life. But for people who are rejecting that, it comes across as foolishness. All right. This one says, anyone reading this, love can go so much farther than hate. No one should have to hide their sexuality. Okay. Well, as we've discussed already, um, disagreeing with someone does not equal hate. And so we can just get that out in the open. And we're not going to convince someone that overnight they need God to soften their heart. Um but disagreeing with someone does not equal hate. But I will say that I agree with one part of this comment. No one should have to hide their sexuality. And I think that that's true. And I think that we need to have a church culture where people can be honest and open. That doesn't mean we have to shout everything from the rooftop. It doesn't mean that everyone needs uh, mm. a microphone and a YouTube channel. But for far <laughs> too long... There was a culture in church where you did have to hide if you're struggling with these issues, and that wasn't helpful or, he or healthy. And so many times, you know, back 10, 15 years ago, I'd have Christians, especially in the Midwest, who would say, oh, there's so many more people who are, are, are all of a sudden gay now. It's like, man, like, I don't know if that's true. Uh and now there's a lot of people identifying that way because of the social contagion. But before the social contagion, mm -hmm. when a lot more people were coming out of the closet or talking about it. It's like, I don't know if that's true, but all of a sudden we have a culture where they can talk about it. Whereas previously people sitting in churches who are struggling either had to sit there their entire life and struggle in silence and never get any help and live in shame and condemnation. And it really paralyzed their faith or they just moved away and they moved to someplace like San Francisco where uh, you know it was fully celebrated, and so uh, that's mm. that. That wasn't a good solution. That wasn't helping anyone. And I've ministered yeah. to eighty-year-old farmers in middle of nowhere, Nebraska, who had been paralyzed their entire life by same-sex attraction, and they'd sat in church their entire mm. life, and could never talk about it. And that was that was not healthy. 
it was not the solution. It doesn't mm-hmm. lead to healthy disciples, to healthy, fo- healthy followers of Jesus. And so no one should have to hide their sexuality. And I deal with that with parents a lot. And I have so many wonderful, amazing parents that I work with and minister to. Uh, there's been many, though, over the years where their goal has been, how do I make my child keep this a secret because of how it will mm-hmm. reflect on me? And I I remember one meeting with parents, this has been many years ago in a small town in Nebraska, their college-age child had come out of the closet, and um, their main concern is, like, what will people in our small town think of me? How will this maybe affect my business? Hmm. What will people in church think of me? And those, so those parents had some major idolatry issues, some major image issues to work through. And I knew that yeah. my ministry wasn't to their child. It was to them because they were being held captive by these idols that they were serving. But I remember the mom said, well, you know, uh, I don't think that people need, need to know about his homosexuality. It's like, I certainly, you know, don't go around telling people that I'm straight. It's like, I, and I thought that was such a kind of a ridiculous assertion because, okay, you go around with your husband, you have it listed on Facebook that you're a woman attracted to men and that you're in a relationship with your husband. It's like, you don't, you're not yeah. hiding your sexuality whatsoever, yet you're expecting mm-hmm. your son to hide his sexuality and him hiding it all these years as he was growing up in your home did not lead to any healthy discipleship in which he was willing to surrender it to Jesus. And so um, forcing people to hide it yeah. is not the solution. We want uh vulnerability and we want authenticity, but the goal of authenticity should be confession and repentance that leads to a changed life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where, you know, discipleship is so important because, you know, you can sit in a church every day for your whole life and never be discipled or disciple anybody else. And um, you never go deeply and ever share anything about yourself and so, and I think you have to be, you know, you have to be wise with who you share what you're struggling with. I mean, you, you and that's what I think people who are outside of the church don't really understand. It's not like, it's not like you just go, I, I don't go up to somebody that I just met in church that I sit by and say, Hey, I watched porn or like, Hey, uh, you know, yes. I'm really struggling with mm-hmm. anger or whatever it is. And, but I mean, um, discipleship is so important because you build that relationship and then you're able to speak into somebody else's lives and vice versa. And so. Um, yeah, I think Absolutely. that's, that is so huge. So when people are genuinely hurt by others after they've opened up, they do need to seek to forgive them. They need to understand that no Christian mm-hmm. is perfect, that their security comes from God and they need to still then seek a community where there is a culture of vulnerability and they can have deep relationships and where they can talk about their struggles and temptations and where they can be encouraged. And sometimes that doesn't always happen. And sometimes it's painful, but we find our Mm. security in the Lord and continue to fight for community. I've seen so many guys with same-sex attraction who at some point confessed uh, to a Christian in their church 
and it was a painful experience and then they just didn't go back to church and then they make the mistake of claiming well there just aren't any good churches where i can talk about this like no like you were hurt at one or you're hurt at two but that person doesn't represent probably that entire church and that entire church doesn't represent the entire body of christ and so we need Amen. to continue to take those steps of vulnerability and build deep relationships within our churches. This one says, to anyone who might be reading this, just be yourself. I learned from experience that rep oh, that repressing your identity will only make you miserable. Yeah. And so this is just be yourself, but God wants you to be a different version of yourself. He wants to be a version of yourself that is repentant and transformed by his grace. And I do agree that it's not about repression. We shouldn't just repress ourselves. We need to deny ourselves because we're at a place of repentance. And there's a process that we go through of sanctification over the course of our lifetime that changes uh, who we are from the inside. And so we don't repress our identity. We find a new identity that's in Christ. And um, I know it is miserable when uh, we're trying to just repress ourselves under our own power. But when we have the Holy Spirit in us, God gives us the capability of denying ourselves uh, to follow him. Okay, if Jesus were around today and telling the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan in his story would be trans, you would be the ones walking by with no time to help. Hypocrites. Man, that's a powerful statement. Obviously, this person has probably been wounded and hurt. And so many times when people make statements like that, as Christians, we can have compassion. We don't need to argue with them. They have been wounded and hurt, and so they need a moment of compassion but, uh, you know, as Christians, when we see someone in need, we did take the story of this Good Samaritan seriously. We help them, whether they're trans or not. And I do see so much kind of pride and condemnation in people who proclaim the name of Christ and condemning people who struggle with different issues. I experienced it as someone who was struggling with homosexuality. I see that type of attitude towards you know, people who are dealing with transgender issues, and we need to have loving compassion. And this person probably has this view of us because they've experienced Christians who uh, just condemned and sometimes mocked. And I would say we shouldn't be so busy mocking people that we miss the opportunity to minister to them and help them find an identity in Christ. And unfortunately, Christians have made mistakes there. But then sometimes that perception comes from their own sinfulness and their own blindedness. And uh, the only way to work through that is actually get to know them and minister God's grace to them. And I think it's important that when uh, people misperceive Christians this way, we don't just get defensive. We acknowledge that we have made mistakes. Many times we've misrepresented Christ. And as none of us are perfect, and some of it's been unintentional, some of it has been blatant sin and how we talk about people and how we treat them. And so sometimes we have to work to soften someone's heart. And sometimes it's their sin that has softened their heart. Sometimes maybe it was God. If you want to get into that whole, you know, uh, hardening of the heart conversation, sometimes it was Christians. Uh, we can't control that, but we can be a part of softening their heart by how we treat them. All right. This next one uh, is a little bit lighter. Well, it's a good, it's a good question, um, but they approached it really well. 
Hi, Brady. Thank you for the video. I found it very informative and appreciated your tone when approaching the different theological beliefs. I have a question I'd love some clarification on. If I am understanding correctly, Rosaria said that homosexual temptation is sinful. Do you agree with this? And if so, can you expand on this? I've heard it said that temptation in general isn't sinful, but acting on the temptation is sin. In the scriptures, it said that Jesus was tempted, but did not sin. Uh, do you see why I would find that comment she made confusing in light of scripture? I'm finding that her talk had comments like this one that left me feeling confused rather than left with clarity. Thanks for the help, brother. Great. Well, I appreciate a respectful comment and some genuine uh Deep, deep thought there. So this is referring to a video where um, I showed a clip of Rosaria Butterfield, and she was calling out some different organizations for uh, what they believe on same-sex attraction. And she did allure to, you know, kind of the sin of same-sex attraction. And I, I think that that requires a lot of clarity and nuance. Um, I, I think that many times the easy answer, the short answer is, well, same-sex attraction isn't a sin, only acting on it is. And I think that we make a mistake there on that we equate all attraction to just temptation. And we say that temptation isn't a sin because Jesus was tempted. Therefore, same-sex attraction isn't a sin, only acting on it is a sin. And so I think there's so many theological implications there. We could probably do a whole series of podcast episodes breaking it down, but I'd like to maybe break down a few of those um, very quickly. I think that at minimum, we all need some higher standards. And I, I, I think that in this conversation about lust, and this applies across the board, um, wh whether it's heterosexual, homosexual, whatever it is, we say, well... Uh, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a, a sin to you cross this certain line at some point to where your temptations become lustful. And I think that wherever that line is, we've moved it way far out there. And we need to pull it way back and understand that God wants no hint of sexual immorality within us. And so we need to we need to have some much higher standards on what we consider to be acceptable or sinful or non-sinful. So I think that's that's part of the the bigger picture. Um I think that that uh, another part of the theology is that we have to look at James 1:14 and it says that uh we're tempted when we're lured by the, the by the evil in our hearts. And so I think we have to ask ourselves what is it that's luring us? What's the evil that's inside of us? And we know that Jesus was tempted but I think it's uh, important to know that Jesus was always tempted by outside sources. He was he was tempted by the devil coming and trying to entice him. It was something outside of him that was trying to lure him, that was trying to tempt him. But James tells us that we're tempted by the evil that's inside of us. Uh, Jesus didn't have evil that, that was inside of him. And so when we have evil that's inside of us, that's tempting us, we need to surrender that evil. We need a new heart. We need our desires to change. We need the evil to be stomped out and put to death. And that's an evil that Jesus didn't experience. So I think it's apples and oranges to um, uh, uh, say that, well, just because Jesus was tempted doesn't mean that we don't need to deal with our uh, our own temptation. 
and then I also want to look at the bigger picture of what is the root issues behind someone's same sex attraction. And I see, usually it's, it's things that actually we know are sinful. It's like when I look at another man and I desire him, even if it's not in a sexual way, it's like I'm wanting something from him. I'm I'm coveting something from him. I see something in him I wish I had for myself. And that's the sin of coveting. I'm coveting something that God didn't give me, whether it's his looks, his talents and abilities, his personality. And we know that coveting is a sin. Um, and so I think when we look at the bigger picture of what is luring me, what is driving this desire, we can say, it's like, man, what's driving this desire is evil within me and is coming from these different sin issues within me. And I, I think that we we need to show a lot of kindness and compassion and understanding that sanctification takes a lifetime. And I think where we kind of rejected as the church, the entire concept that same-sex attraction needs to be sanctified um, over time is because it was applied to us uh, very legalistically and uncompassionately and sometimes hypocritically. Uh, I remember um, uh, a long time ago, I read a book by Heath Lambert called Trans transforming homosexuality, and he made a very, very convincing case uh, that same-sex attraction itself needs to be repented of and needs to be transformed. And I was, when I read it, I was, I was a little bit pissed actually because I thought that he was not very grace-filled, and it's like I was also kind of convicted of like, man, I really need to continue on my sanctification journey but i was upset because it's like what if they apply the same con the same concept and the same standard to heterosexuals and uh all the guys who are addicted to pornography and uh their their desire for women other than their wives like there would need to be a whole lot of repentance happening but then it was just like this fall a few weeks ago i listened to Heath Lambert's book on uh, pornography that was assuming, I think it applied to anyone, but assuming heterosexual men was the audience. And it held them that same standard of like, you need to not only quit looking at pornography, but you need to be transformed in your heart so that you no longer desire uh, to look at pornography and be with women who are not your wife. And it was like a breath of fresh air that's like, oh, I'm no longer upset with him for the transformation of homosexuality book, even though I really agreed with it because uh, he's applying that same standard to heterosexual men and their lust issues. And so I, I, I think that that conversation is so hard because there's been so much hypocrisy and wanting to apply that depth of transformation and sanctification to the person with same-sex attraction while completely overlooking uh, so much heterosexual sin that we're just so um, hardened to that we don't even notice it. Mm. That's good. So, so I would like to do some more podcasts really uh, examining that aspect and trying to answer that question, but we can, two things can exist at once. We can acknowledge that our attractions are sinful and we can still rest in God's grace 
uh, in the process. And a lot of like the side B community um, that says you should just embrace your attractions and you should embrace the identity. They say that, oh, we can't even hit at maybe the possibility that our attractions are sinful because that is just piling shame and guilt onto people. It's like, no, that's a false dichotomy. Like if I believe that my attractions are sinful, that should lead me to, to, to resting in God's grace and understand that, that who am I, that God should love a sinner like me. Uh, even in my, the state of my flesh in which my flesh is still struggling at times that should lead us to understanding God's grace at a deeper level and spurring one another to rest in God's grace and, you know, go down a process of transformation. Amen. Okay. This is the last of the serious ones, I believe. Well, some people were probably serious when they wrote the yes. mean ones, but <laughs> how do you, how do you account for the six-year-old boy who would rather play house than touch a ball or toy truck who throws like a girl who doesn't like rough play on the playground, who avoids sports, who feels at home helping his mom cook, who likes to play dress up, who is prettier, prettier than most of the girls in his class who stands alone on the playground because he doesn't fit in anywhere and who never grows out of it. That is a really interesting and deep question. And I have a feeling that this is coming from a place of personal pain. Um, and, but I think that so much of what they expressed here shows a lack of understanding in being masculine and feminine. We put people into boxes and we ostracize them if they don't fit our perfect box of these stereotypes that we think are masculine and feminine. So I'd say if a boy likes to cook, celebrate that. Like he can use that gifting for God's glory. If he's not into sports, that's fine because uh, God doesn't say we have to be into football to be a man. We can, uh, manhood should accomplish uh, things for the purpose of God, not just like who can run and throw a ball, uh, you know? And so um, if this person is, alone on the playground because they don't fit in go and be his friend and don't exclude him from the world of masculinity or from manhood just because uh he doesn't fit in what some of the other boys might like and so we're actually creating more guys who struggle with same-sex attraction by excluding them because of uh their specific personalities or what they're naturally good at or what they like and what they don't like. And it's tragic. And I minister those families a lot and a lot of the narrative in families with one son who's struggling is like, well, the one son, he's just not like the other boys. And he's uh he he doesn't you know fit in with dad and the older brothers with the sports and the cars and he would rather be doing this and that. And they unintentionally create a culture in their family where that one son is excluded. And in a, a family not too long ago, I was ministering to and, and talking it through with uh, the three older boys were just like dad. The youngest one was, was different. He was more sensitive, not into the same things. And so they always made fun of him and they always like labeled him as gay. And the, the mom said, do you, do you think he actually is gay? It's like, he doesn't have to be, but you're certainly doing your part by labeling him as that and and making him feel like he's not he doesn't fit in. He's not 
one of the rest of them. And so it's like, you guys are the ones planning that idea in his mind. And then it's going to come true. Uh, but it didn't have to. Um, and maybe it won't come true. Uh, but that certainly as a boy doesn't fit in. And he's sensitive uh, and has certain personality traits then when you make him feel excluded, that might be how his heart responds of he deeply wants to connect with men and feel like he's one of them. And his heart is going to respond in a sinful way by developing the same sex desire for them to develop, to, to connect um, emotionally and physically. So he doesn't have to be gay. And even if he develops same sex attraction, he doesn't have to act on it. You can disciple him in that. Uh, but we'd be, doing ourselves a favor and him a favor by preventing it, by not excluding him from masculinity. And we've had some episodes mm. on that one with John Vandervelt last fall. Um, we had a good conversation uh, that I'd, I'd recommend you check out on embracing um, different talents and abilities that, that might seem more feminine and not putting boys in this, into certain boxes that make them feel excluded and uh, we, we, we really need a better picture of what is masculine um, and not just these cultural stereotypes. And sometimes we, uh, we perpetuate what I call faux masculinity. It's just this machoism that make men feel like they're masculine, but they're not actually accomplishing what God calls men to accomplish. And it just makes them feel good. Absolutely. Well, should we get to the ad homonyms? But yes, let's get to some of the funny comments. Let's see what some of the people had to say. Um, a lot of these are just short. All right. So first one here is we should require a license to own a microphone. So obviously they don't think that I should have a voice. So, uh, all right. <laughs> uh, you do you, which is one of my least favorite comments that our world makes. Uh so yeah. here's one I I see a lot. I can't wait to see your coming out video. And, you know, people say that because they just assume there's no way that I could deny myself. And there's no way that, that Christians could live a fruitful, productive life after dealing with same-sex attraction. And then you know, um, following Christ and submitting that error of our lives. And many times they just assume that because it justifies their own sexuality, their own sin, and they want to feel justified in how they're living. So they just assume that people like me are faking it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the next comment is along the same lines. Can't wait to see this guy's coming out video in the future. Uh, this person says he's not really gay. He was faking his gayness. Uh, and I think that is so interesting. And that goes along with one of the questions I answered. It's like, oh, I guess I just wasn't gay enough or it wasn't the right kind of yeah. gay. And so it's like when we live in a culture that just says you do you and everyone can have their own sexuality, like then who are you to say that I was faking my gayness? Like that's just that's so ridiculous that uh, and it's so contrary to what the world says their values are is like everyone can live out their own sexuality in the, their own unique way. Yet you think that I was just faking my gayness. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's odd. Yeah, and so uh, this one says, by the way, he's going to hell. That was God's plan. 
Um, and so I think that's mm. interesting. I think that this is referring to uh, someone that I was talking about in who was living out like transgenderism or uh, uh, some type of sinful lifestyle. And so this is coming from a Christian. So I think that's so tragic that this is like the determinism we talked about with Tim Stratton on Christians believing, well, it's yeah. God's plan that this person's going to hell, so there's no hope for them. And we as Christians should be preaching gospel-centered hope. We should believe that God wants everyone to come to know him. He wants everyone to be saved. We preach gospel hope, and we don't just assume, well, that person was made for hell, and therefore there's no hope. Yeah. And by the way, if you're somebody who's struggling with things, I know with me, you know, I, sh I have struggled with, you know, pornography uh, and I have a long story about that. But gosh, uh, the hardest thing for me was when I when I was, you know, I would say a determinist. And it was so easy for me to justify my sin and be like, well, God must want this for me. And, and in reality, mm -hmm. that's a, the opposite of what God wants for me. You know, he wants me to, um, you know, deny myself and and die to my flesh, but it's it's hard to separate those two things when you believe it, um, believe like that. So, anyways, that uh, if that's the only Christianity you've ever heard, that's that's not um, the only the only way to explain those things. Absolutely, this person said, "Looks like someone's still stuck in the closet." And again, mm. those comments just come from a denial that people like me exist, because if people like me exist, then it undermines their entire foundation that they've built their agenda on, which is the premise that people are born gay and they have no choice. And there's no type of uh, actual real repentance or life change. And they you know, say that it's conversion therapy that's been you know, completely debunked. And so... Uh, they feel like I'm threatening to them because my very existence yeah. as someone who's living a different life undermines the premise that they've built so much their life and their agenda on. Okay. This one's kind of personal. Uh, this was when me and Shannon were talking about the effects of experimenting with sexuality when he was a child. Uh, you should go and listen to that episode, but this person says, try experimenting with a diet. Dude, that's harsh, but wow. I've experimented with them all. And, you know, I've, uh, I actually used to be about a hundred pounds more than I am right now. Uh, I was a very large guy and, uh, God has done some great work in my life and I still struggle. And right now I'm about 30 pounds more than I would like to be, but, uh, God's still at work in me and still learning discipline and self-control and, uh, but, um, you know, people say things like this because they're hurting and so they want to hurt others. Yes. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that. It's hard. This comment says, utterly delusional. This one says, this guy is a waste of air. Oh, that's nice that you think that I'm a waste of air. Wow. <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty brutal. This person said, I found this video interesting, but not helpful. I'm now going to watch some end times videos and hopefully we'll learn something encouraging. <laughs> uh, I think that he's trying to be tongue in cheek because usually end times videos are not encouraging. So he's saying that end times video would be more encouraging than what I had to say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this person said, what is this bro blabbering about? So that's me. I blabber sometimes. Here's a deep one. It says the only thing worse than this video is this guy's hairline. 
So it's true. My hair is thinning. It's a big problem. Uh, at some point, I'm just going to give up and it has to go. But I, I'm really wanting to get my weight on, with a healthy place before I give up on my hair, because then at least I'll have something going for me. Uh, at least, you know, <laughs> if I don't have a good head of hair, at least I can be thin. You know, I don't know. Uh, I've, I was always very self-conscious it. about my hair. And so it's, it's God's um, irony that I'm losing my hair, which I, I don't have good genetics in that area. I always tell my parents that I inherited the worst of both of my parents. They're always both offended by that. So they both think that I just inherited the worst of the other one. But uh, <laughs> yes. That's funny. Okay, this right, last well, one is pretty wild. Did you see the last one there? Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Why well, care about what a Bronze Age holy book says about anything? Eat the shrimp, enjoy the barbecue, and uh, live your life. Well, uh that is going to take someone straight to condemnation. And we mourn that people are in that spot. And obviously they're referring to the old Testament on the old Testament. They couldn't eat shrimp. They couldn't eat pork. Uh, and they were under the, the old Testament law and we're no longer under the old Testament law. And I would say, Jesus died on the cross so that I could eat bacon. And so I'm going to take advantage of that. I'm not going to deny the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. I'm going to enjoy the bacon. I'm going to eat the shrimp, even though I don't really like it that much. But I'm not just going to live my life uh, because I see the destruction that that brought uh, when I just live my life according to my own desires. And I see that the hope I have in Christ and that he gives me life in ways that the world can never offer. And so I have true life for eternity with Christ. And so that's so much better than just living my life. I think that was the last one. All right. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Calibrate Conversations. Thank you, Caleb, for co-hosting this with me today. We hope that we see more of you in the future. Maybe your brother Josh will be on to you oh, yeah. sometime. We'll bring him on to your, the Brothers Garza, as I like to call <laughs> you. We appreciate your insight and all of the work you do behind the scenes to make this ministry possible. Make sure you like this video, subscribe to our channel, share with your friends. Go to CalibrateMinistries.com for more podcast episodes, resources, and we always appreciate your support of the ministry if you're able to do so. Have a great week and embrace God's standard for sexuality. 